this whole issue of type 2 diabetes and then they also talk about pre-diabetes but um type 2 diabetes as it relates to um, insulin insensitivity and metabolic syndromes you know is a real plague um, in the u.s in particular with skyrocketing rates you know I, I think you've read and i have read up to maybe 40 percent of our adult population is um type type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes so you know we have 330 million people in this country and um i suppose if there's adults over 18 years of all 18 years of age you know maybe then we can say there's i don't know even if you said there's you know a couple of hundred million people in that population you know times 40 percent it means we're getting we're getting up close to 100 million 90 to 100 million people yeah, it says it's just nine, approximately 98 million american adults more than one in oh, three are pre yeah less than half so we're still doing okay yeah <laughs> there's also and, uh, more than 80 percent don't know they are right right undiagnosed and that's a terrible it's a terrible bloody health um uh situation you know like it's very debilitating as it progresses and as people get older it generally progresses so there's mm -hmm. some there's some data here i found in from uh, nina nina tickolts you know she's that uh, great big author who wrote surprise. the big fat surprise yeah yep she wrote that some years ago and um you know and i i follow her and i, I suppose you guys do too but she she pub she put out a um a, a graph that's really really powerful it's from the u.s diabetes surveillance uh data and it shows from 1960 you know we've talked about previously with ansel keys and how this whole diet heart hypothesis got started you know the lipid mm -hmm. hypothesis linking um saturated fats uh with cardiovascular disease and that was we i think we talked about that in our last podcast was it or two podcasts ago um, um i'm gonna look it up just so we can tell yeah people, uh, yeah but we really we covered that extensively how how in the 1960s the whole U.S. food pyramid and USDA and yeah, those Heart Association. Episode 10, if <laughs> anyone wants to go back. And episode 10. Yeah. Anyway, so it's been, and, and, and uh, anyway, so it really transformed the way Americans eat, you know, in two big ways. One way was um, substituting um, meat, meat and fat, animal products, meat, fat, and dairy products butter especially and substituting it with oils such as margarine or vegetable oils and then also introducing to replace those fat calories um because you got to have calories we replace them with grains and carbohydrates and sugar so there's a huge transformation since 1960 so that's 40 plus that's in 60 years and now we see diabetes in that same span you know has just skyrocketed from almost you know zero type 2 diabetes um up to where we were just saying up to you know maybe 90 million americans suffering from it <clears throat> and at the same time the red meat consumption's gone down by 38 percent per capita mm -hmm. you know so it's like yeah. what the hell's going on you know if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck 
and you know then it's probably a bloody duck <laughs> and um so you got to say that you know eating red meat and the fat that goes along with it because you can't have one without the other you know is is, is not correlated with um increasing type 2 diabetes you know it's is a good that point a, because a lot of what concludes these things is strictly correlation too right so it's it's hard to actually zoom in on it so if they're if it, it's good as an indicator and so i think that's part of where we want to take this too is how how do we conclude anything from these population data through epidemiology and um i think observing trends at large is a is a meaningful way to do it and so seeing that you know two slopes that are going the opposite direction would um would be indicative of okay they're not necessarily one causing the other but determining cause is tricky too right and so that's part of yeah. what we want to try to iron out today um is that meat going down doesn't necessarily conclude definitively that type 2 diabetes going up is the cause but it certainly isn't uh if they're parallel and following the same slope, that would be more compelling that they are related. If 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 nothing else, it's a pretty strong uh, trend to to point towards that. Okay, we've been told for years and years that that meat is the the demon in the diet: red meat, saturated fats. Um, um, and just to be you know consistent with that, what we're going to talk about today, it it doesn't prove that it's not, but it certainly doesn't support that it is either. Um, yeah. and, and there's, uh, there's a lot of nuance with actually parsing out cause and we're going to, we're going to spend time on that. But I think hopefully the, the case that we can leave with today is that we're quite firm believers that meat and red meat, especially and saturated fats and, and dairy products as well are, are, um, if, if nothing else, you know, um, that we think they're positive for health, but we, we certainly don't think they're negative for health. Um, right. and, and I yeah. think that's, uh. A, a point that's been, you know, beaten into people and without being too redundant, but I think it's okay to, to circle back and talk about some of the things we did on episode 10 as well. Um, you, you poll the public and ask them, what do they think about um, red meat and fat? Um, I think they would immediately go to cholesterol and heart disease. Um, a, a lot of people would. Um, but then you ask them sugar, and I don't know if they would necessarily conclude heart disease. Um, so yeah. it's this, it's this thing that is ingrained into us almost, um, into the, the public at large, um, which is, it's, a it makes it an uphill, uphill battle to, to reverse that. And it's crazy how it got this far without breaks being put yeah. on it and where it is just second nature for people to conclude and associate the two as, um, you know, as, as actually being negative, I guess. Yeah. And so in, and that's kind of what we dove into I guess in the full over long was hour and a half of episode 10 was more of the how we got to this point in essentially 60 plus years of of like you know food propaganda um, type of thing that led to that kind of general consensus from the public that you just mentioned Ty. so just to set up this public podcast it's obviously related to episode 10 um, I don't think it'll be entirely required for you to go back and listen to that but it might add some context but what do we want to uh, for the listeners going forward so we're not just so they know we're not just going to replow that same field what do we plan to talk about here today that's um jumping off of the back of episode 10 good 
Uh, it's a good question. And I, I can't make promises because I don't remember exactly what we talked about in episode 10. So there's a, <laughs> there's a good no, chance we talked about some of it. Um, no, that's not my point. No, yeah. But no, we know. have a, we want to take it further and to, and to look at some specific studies and the issues with how the data led us to this kind of consensus. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's, uh, I think that is the point and I'll let you jump in here in a second, dad. Um, but my understanding of what we're hoping to accomplish here today is episode 10, we, point towards, okay, that maybe meat isn't unhealthy and um, we've been, you know, sold a, um, sold something to us, that message that isn't maybe accurate. Okay. Um, but now how is that message portrayed and why is that, why did that catch on? Um, and the, the science used or the methods used um, may not be as rigorous as people are led to believe. Um, and so I think we want to talk through the methods on how these population data are construed into, um, you know, public and media messaging and headlines and things like that. And so point out issues with the methodology to conclude things that may or may not actually be real. And historically, but also current day, um, like ongoing studies, not just the original studies from the 60s. And um, this is still happening, which is even more interesting because there's so many resources for different, you know, information now. And it's not just massively controlled like it was in the 60s so this contrast mm -hmm. of of you know people like the two of you and i guess myself by proximity that you know do look at other more reputable or different information sources and yet to see it so blatantly um contrasted by what the public narrative is i think is also really interesting yeah and um i don't know if Max, you're on, you're on mute there if you wanted to jump in on that or not. Um, but I, I think um, one big item for today is, okay, so what is epidemiology and what is its purpose? Because it is it does have a role in science, um, but how is th there seems to be a disconnect in our mind between what the purpose of the studies and that methodology are used for and how it's actually being used today. Um, and so I think trying to parse out some of the some of what that disconnect is. And so I think maybe that starts by, OK, what is epidemiology? Um, yeah, it starts there, I think. It's really population data um, and population trials, which is um, an observational. Um, and so the the big thing to note with this type of trial is it cannot necessarily prove cause and effect. There's too many um, confounding variables, too many different um, overlapping effects that you can't really iron out one singular cause and one singular effect. Um, but they are typically used for um, with associations. And so um, when used appropriately, they're used in tandem with really well done clinical randomized trials. So okay. if you have a hypothesis, and you've got some inclining that this happens when this is, you know, consumed, or if this drug is used, this should be the outcome of that drug. Um, you use, you, you conclude that those, you can con make conclusions through the well-done randomized trials and find supporting evidence for further investigation through epidemiology or vice versa. Maybe epidemiology leads to the controlled trials, but the it's, it's not to conclude um, significance necessarily on a hypothesis, to give indicators on where to go next with that hypothesis and if you're on the right track or not. And so they have to be used with caution, I guess, is the shortest way to say it. Um, but they are 
typically that design is um, large, large population. So in, in some of these, you'll you'll see, I don't know, the, the, the trial we're going to talk about today, that the Harvard red meat study that was done earlier in 2023, um, there's five and a half million people years in as subjects. So the people times the years that they are followed gets to 5.5 million people years. Um, so you get huge numbers like that. And, um, and that's part of the benefit because if you have tons and tons of overlapping confounding variables and things that you can't really iron out, the way to reduce error and variance is to increase sample size. And so that's what they, what the approach here is, is just to get more people involved to dilute some of the confounding things and try to find, you know, actual significant takeaways on the margins, um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that's uh, one one big comment here on what epidemiology is, um, and and what it's used for. And it's, uh, and I guess it maybe should even back up a, another step. Why don't we just do everything with controlled trials? Well, these are data and questions that are supposed to be applied to people. And it's really hard to put people in like livestock, we do it really well. We can put cattle in pens and we can feed them exactly what we want and give them the environment we want and take out as many variables that could potentially influence that as possible. Um, that's really hard to do with people and no one's going to sign up for that. And so the so it's a randomized controlled trial on humans is just inherently much more difficult to accomplish. And, um, and so this is kind of, um, we use animal models to infer things for humans, and we use epidemiology with people to infer things for people. And so it's kind mm -hmm. of blending the two when done correctly is is how you can, can kind of sort of conclude um, things that will actually have impact on, on humans. But just looking at one or the other, maybe not is, uh, there's issues with that. Good. That's helpful. I saw you mentioned the Harvard study, which we're going to talk about because it claimed all that it's very sensational. Red meat causes type two diabetes. And, and that study came out last year, I think in August last year, but, um, you know, it just hit all the headlines from the major news media outlets who are very, I would say they're very, what do you say, predisposed to push this, this story as well about meat is bad. You know, that seems to be very dogmatic now um, mm -hmm. instantiated among mainstream legacy media outlets. So this Harvard and Harvard has a big halo effect because it's, you know, it's um, it's living off, you know, a hundred or more years of very esteemed, you know, research and credibility, although it seems to be crumbling like hell now. You know, it's a it's a, it's integrity seems to be in shambles now uh and anyway but that's a different story nonetheless they published the study as being inferring that red meat causes type 2, two diabetes by an increase of staggering things like 50 percent increase in risk and so we have some things to talk about with the study one would be the study design which is epidemiology which tommy has been outlining um and then and you keep track of these things to talk about, Jack. But number two would be to talk about, you know, limitations of epidemiology. Number three would be, you know, association is not equals causation. And and I think number four thing would be to talk about, like, would be 
the plausibility of the mechanism involved that they're that they're pursuing like what is the plausible mechanism for eating meat that would increase type 2 diabetes you know which is which is driven by um blunting of insulin uh sensitivity uh, by in humans you know and um which is you know as we talked about before which is glucose um metabolism and glycemic index is what's measured um as a big indicator for pushing glucose um and for um expressing you know triggering the release of of uh insulin in our bodies so if you don't have this mechanistic pathway then you already got to say hey how the hell can we link this together like meat is not is almost zero on a glycemic uh index mm. but yet mm -hmm. sugars and carbs are like a hundred you know they're just they're they're like the highest mm -hmm. and uh and in this study the fifth thing to talk about would be the wheat like the the things that just don't stack up in the study it's like what the hell they stick out like dogs balls you know the flaws in the study and then they go and publish it and then they stick it behind a paywall so that no one can read the bloody study but they got yeah. the headline you know red meat causes 50 percent increase in risk of cancer and, and heart disease it's like it's it's idiocy when you get to look at it but the public can never get to look at it because it's you know it's hidden away behind a big headline and then and then these are very sort of complex things to, yes. to investigate so it's, it's it's no wonder that people can't follow along um i, mm -hmm. I i'm a fan of grok you guys use grok i gave up on chat gpt like the, it's, it's too the tight end for correct the, this is the tight end <laughs> for the patriots <laughs> grok i don't i never heard of yeah. him dad's always been a fan of him no i'm a fan <laughs> of, the, of the comedian that elon musk made oh comedian AI. ai yeah well grok's <laughs> all grok is awesome so i got it i type i just i'll share this with you this because tommy's talking about epidemiology so i asked grok this morning is it easy to draw wrong causation from epidemiology studies and here's what it, it, it grok uh came back it's easier than finding a needle in a haystack while wearing oven mitts and blindfolded. In epidemiology, we often see associations look like a match made in heaven, but in reality, they're just two ships passing in the night. Confounding factors sneak in like a cat burglar, stealing away the true cause and effect relationship. So it's important. Only metaphors? <laughs> it's very colorful. Yeah. I, I have it in comedy <laughs> mode. <laughs> Okay, well that makes sense. <laughs> like it's just one after another. Can you yeah, put yeah, it in? That, can you put it in like uh, like high swearing mode? So it's just yeah, full of you curses. You can do that too. Yeah. <laughs> it says epidemiology ships passing in the night. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn ships passing in the night. Yeah. It says uh, you'll love this one. It says epidemiology is like leads to conclusions far jumping to conclusions faster than a jackrabbit on a hot date <laughs> it just keeps coming with these i like it yeah i, I did type it into chat gpt as well dad and there's far less humor in that one yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah before we get too far good output though it actually was pretty uh what did it say good. 
Um, I just asked issues with epidemiology to chat GPT and um, actually maybe it's a good a good framework for this discussion. Uh, there's there's nine things. Yes, I say by the for the record, I dad told me to remember all those things that that <laughs> to remember. I, I remember I think like one of them. So don't rely on me to keep this so, on track. <laughs> so Jack's got one out of those five. I've got nine here. I want you to try to keep some of those ones too, Jack. Um, the, the nine issues they'll I guess provide. It's kind of more or less what we're going into today, anyways. But okay, so issues with epidemiology. So it's self-reported data. So that's a big one. You're asking people to fill out surveys honestly. A lot of them are questionnaire based. And so to fill out what they've been eating for the last X amount of years. Um, and, you know, anyone that has filled out surveys, you know, you even when it's just you filling it out, you still tend to lie. So there's an issue there. Um, or, or they you don't remember. Lie. Yeah. Like how you do don't you remember correct. what you ate? Correct. Yeah. 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 And then misreporting. Um, of and social desirability bias um so they might under or over report what they actually did um variability in these responses so these are all kind of with the actual subjects the the things that they are able to do um the confounding variables so that we we talked about that one already a little bit but i assume we'll get more into that as well um and then a big one that gets talked about a lot is this reverse causation um it's used as a um it, it it's chicken or the egg what caused what did diet cause this outcome or did some underlying cause lead that person to eat that diet um and so and and then does that diet therefore cause the outcome you're looking at so there's a lot of circular conclusions based off of the, the um, reverse causation and then publication bias is another one that gpt came up with here which i think is what we're going to talk a lot about um and then um uh, I, I guess the last three aren't super, super relevant. So maybe we'll 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 leave it there. Um, but the, was, the last one is long latency period. So where do you actually draw the line? Where do you cut off? When does the effect like with insulin resistance and pre-insulin resistance and things like that, that can be years in the making. So did you capture mm -hmm. the, the, the appropriate time frame? Um, and so those are I thought those were actually pretty good. Um, a pretty good list that they that, that that it spit out, and so they weren't. Um, yeah, they weren't funny at all, but they were they were good. <laughs> no, no, that is a that no. is a good framework. That's helpful to. Yeah. So, so on like the on the on this topic of um, getting causation, meaning getting the cause of the disease, we're talking about type two diabetes today. But if you get that um, confused with association. There's some good examples of of how you can get uh, um, can get ridiculous things that look like they're caused, but they're not. And I've got a couple of examples here. One is um, I found from a, a useful website that just he just specializes in, in looking at data that's that is associated but not caused. One of them is ice cream and shark attacks. So when you have more ice cream sales, you have more shark people being, you know, attacked by sharks. And so uh -huh. they're clearly associated, but ice cream is not causing it. But the data looks perfect on a graph, you know, as increased sales of ice cream, uh, hot weather at the beach, then you have more shark attacks. So that's a good yeah. example of how you can get rock, how you can easily get misled. Um, another one is storks, you know, the stork in the, in the old, 
uh, fairy tales. Storks carry babies, you know, in a net, in mm -hmm. a in a flannel uh, in a blanket, and and so yep. storks in Denmark. The data on Denmark is the prevalence of the stork population in Denmark is 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 perfectly associated with more babies or more births. So again, you know, crazy correlation, but not causation. And then a third mm -hmm. one I found is autism is perfectly correlated with eating organic food. So mm -hmm. as organic food sales have risen, you know, it matches perfectly with autism. So mm -hmm. there's three examples of where we know ridiculously they're not caused by each other. But um, but if you yep. but you could but just looking at the graphs, they're perfectly matched. So if you were right. a little bit naive, um, then it would be easy to sell this idea that they are caused by each other and they're and they're so not. It's it actually feeds in really well with where where we opened this podcast talking about the increase in type two diabetes and the decrease in meat, right? Correct. Um, so we have to be careful with that too. That that's not us saying that the lack of meat consumption is leading to type two diabetes. Um, that's it's not definitive on its own, right? For that exact same reason that you're outlaying right. there, but there is mechanisms behind it that have been tested, you know, in a more robust way that do give more credence to the line of thinking that, okay, there might be some mo something more to just association between red meat intake and health outcomes. Um, but if that's the only tool you're using to conclude that red meat is healthy, it's also flawed in, in that, in that, if that's the yeah. Um, conclusion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I feel like we've set up pretty well the issues in that correlation yeah. causation epidemiology studies. Um, what was the very, when you were starting to list off all the numerous things for me to remember, which I clearly didn't, what was the first one you wanted to tackle on this podcast Dad. What, like what were those five again yeah no because that's how we got here uh, let's start with one what was the where we kind of said we would jump in once we've laid this groundwork like well, we had number one is to you know is that you could use this epidemiology studies or survey data like tommy talked about is great for generating hypotheses you know to test okay. so you could see that the this one the red meat consumption going down in America by 38%, 40%, and you see type 2 diabetes going up by 100%. So there's a good hypothesis that it generates. It says, let's go and test through random controlled trials um, if, if uh, red meat is causing um, type 2, if, is, if eating mm -hmm. less red meat um, causes an increase in type two diabetes, because and that's how we should use epidemiology studies. I think in principle, is you could survey massive amounts of data, millions of people or whatever, and then you come up with um, areas to look closer trends, right? Trends and correlations, and then you say, let's take this and do a randomized control trial, because that's the what do you say the gold standard where mm -hmm. you could now isolate the effects. We're going to have people eat less meat and we're going to measure their type 2 diabetes. And then you could see, you could prove it, you know, does sure, this yeah. work or does it not? And so that's num that's really, and the Harvard study that we want to talk about that gathered so much attention, you know, is needs to do that, but it's not. It's not randomized control study. But this Harvard study published by Willett is, a, I think, would be the lead author, but 
last August. Or will it? Yeah. Or will it? You know, is um, that study is just a survey data, and it's and it's flawed in many ways. So the second thing I wanted to talk about was once you have your hypotheses, it'd be like this one: um, the sharks with ice cream. It wouldn't be worth doing a randomized control trial because it's just well even though it's highly correlated it's stupid you mm. know like you can discount it immediately it's like clearly the ice eating ice cream is not causing sharks to eat people so mm -hmm. we're not going to pursue it so you have to think about the mechanism to see if it's if it's right. if it's plausible, plausible. or not yeah. yeah and so and so um, and that's what you were saying with the glycemic index yeah like the glycemic you should quickly index. throw out that you know since yeah. pre-diabetics is called you know it's related to that and meat yeah. is almost zero it should be a non-starter is what you're saying yeah exactly and then how do we know well we there's a, we know that because the glycemic index is is very low close to zero for meat and we know it's very high for for sugars and carbohydrates and we also know through randomized control studies that you know increasing carbohydrates and sugars increases insulin and increases uh insulinemia uh, or blunting of your insulin response and it leads to type 2 diabetes that pathway is already established mm. and um and, uh, well, that's and not disputed and that's not disputed and then conversely you know there's been big big uh, randomized control studies looking at red meat um and they show that there is no or very weak associations close to zero if none between you know eating meat and um in type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease so it's like so you have to ask yourself like what the hell are they doing keeping pursuing epidemiology these massive population studies with in a in a direction of generating a hypothesis that doesn't have any mechanism mechanistic plausibility mm. and um and so and yeah it's a, a an issue with this whole thing at at large is that um we're using very weak data to make very strong conclusions and recommendations and mm. so that this this red meat study is an example of that um if you so I'll, I'll read off the title of the paper um, for what was actually published in the Amer American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So red meat intake and risk of type 2 diabetes in a prospective cohort study of United States females and males. So that's the actual um, scientific paper um, that was published. And then if you just type that in and get the, the news outlet headlines that come from that, it's red meat linked to increased type 2 diabetes risk. Too, many, too much red meat is linked to 50% increase in type 2 diabetes. Um, red meat linked to risk of type 2 diabetes study finds, things like that. So yeah. you're, you're taking a paper and its conclusions at best are weak data, strong conclusions, um, and, then in, and then conveying the public's opinion on it by having catchy headlines from the, from the punchline of the scientific paper um it's this whole uh it, it's a really bad process because it's it's really conflating the um the findings into actual policy or into lifestyle changes without actually having strong enough reason to suggest or promote those changes and so 
Um, that's a it's a really big, uh, really big issue with epidemiology data um, is you- that actually concluding something of that level of significance, like you shouldn't eat red meat because this epidemiology paper found blank, blank and blank. I, it's really hard to find a good study that would let you actually make that decision with in good, you know, good confidence. Is yeah. that is is the does the Harvard study itself come to that strong of a conclusion, or is it a case of the uh, media outlets grabbing this and putting their own, you know, very uh, narrative focused type so, headlines on it, or is it? You know, I'll I'm read saying the conclusion there. here. So, in conclusion, we found that higher intake of total red meat, processed red meat, and unprocessed red meat was strongly associated with a higher risk of type two diabetes. Oh, replacing okay. one serving of total dairy um, and nuts and legumes for all types of red meat was associated with lower risks of type two diabetes. Oh. Associations were strongest using the repeated assessment of diet over the follow up period. Blah blah blah. Um, our study supports current dietary recommendations for limiting the consumption of red meat. Oh, okay. So they're it's concluding not, what they're the not stretching. Harvard. They're not yeah. twisting Harvard's words. So the paper, also, somehow those strong claims get published in this paper um, in the journals. Um, but it, without getting too conspiratorial, there's a lot of motives at play um, and conflicts of interest that don't get addressed. Sure. Um, and, and, and Walter Willett is king of that whole idea. He's been promoting um veganism and vegetarian diets for years and years and years and he's receiving funding from in in the last couple of years he's received almost a million dollars in funding from pharma uh, pharmaceutical companies who if you left it up to their device they would hate to have a nutritional solution to health um and so that's already a conflict of interest and then he has um received up to 1.5 million dollars in the last few years on um from groups that are you know uh, associated with promoting vegetarian and vegan diets and so he's and he's on the record for the last 20 years talking about uh vegetarian diets vegan diets limiting red meat intake pulling meat from the diets so his super unbiased is known but not disclosed with all of these journal articles that he's submitting papers to yeah that's ridiculous Yeah. yeah at the bottom of the paper which is also hidden behind a paywall, which is also a little frustrating, but um, so you got to pay $38 if you actually want to see the data. I did Um, find it for free pretty quickly after you paid for it. I think they maybe did now have, it might be out now, but for correct. It was for the first half year, at least behind a paywall, but sorry. But also just on that, that's like how quickly does the news cycle turn over? Like people aren't going to wait around people. One aren't going to pay for it. Two, if they do, most people don't know the difference between these studies and you know how to interpret it. And then three, if they wait for it to come up for free, nobody's remembering. They just remember the headline from six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it's we, important to oh sorry, Dad, you go ahead. No, no, it's it's fine. Um, I was just gonna say, while we're actually read off the title of the paper and the conclusions, how did they conclude at that and what were some of the issues with that? So what are things that they account for and um, and what are things that they missed? Because it's now been a pretty heavily critiqued paper um, from um, people that don't view it as robust science to conclude the things that they concluded. Um, and, and so there's been many holes now poked in it, but um, they, yeah. there's, you have no to make way, it, there's no way this paper should have ever been uh, and I'm not a scientist, but uh, you know I've reviewed a lot of scientific papers for many, many years. You know, as part of my work, 
and is part of my interest. So I'm an avid consumer of scientific data, but I, I'm not a scientist. But And so even a novice like me, I can see that this data should never have been accepted in peer-reviewed journal. Like it's full of it's full of uh, flaws and um, nonsensical data. Doesn't it just does not make sense? And so peer review is supposed to be this rigorous um, rigorous review process of of other PhD scientists that would you know point out mistakes that are innocently made or weakness in data or wrong methods used. And and this is a like a how do you say it's a it's been a wonderful um, sort of policing of data to help get better integrity of, of science into the world. But somehow this got published and, and it should never have been published. Like um, it's like yeah. a high, it's like a, it's like a, a high school, it. a high school project that, 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 you know, that wasn't even put any effort into like, it's really, it's full of so many holes and so some what of them, are some of them yeah well some glaring ones would be like uh, the the reported uh, red meat intakes and their reported um calorie intake um they also so i could talk about that they also had body mass index um which is very confounding because that would mean a higher body mass index would indicate a fatter person as an example they, they didn't account for bmi with a, no, across the didn't. populations right so so that's what uh, you call a big confounding yeah, well, because if you're more fat or more obese you should be more inclined to be diabetic and they didn't they didn't they didn't uh, uh account that. for that right and, and so in a randomized control trial you would put you know you would you would randomize for people with bmis that are matched on mm -hmm. one on one in this group and one in that group and then you would match them for age in this group and that group and you'd match them for sex gender male and female and you would match them for other things that are known to cause you know diabetic type problems which would mm -hmm. be a good one would be smoking you know do you smoke a pack a day okay <laughs> then we need to match you guys up and that's another yeah. floor in this study so the biggest and fattest people were eating more red meat and they also smoked more. It's like, well, what the hell else did they do? They also didn't exercise as much as the uh, hmm. as their you know people who they, ate less red meat. They did account for those though, but they were still already confounded within the within that BMI end of it. So if they don't account for BMI but do account for those, they're still missing a lot of that noise, and yeah. that's. So they did try to account for smoking and race and things like there and, and activity, but they left out the the really, really big ones. It, well, BMI, because that would play those things would ultimately, you know, they could play into your BMI. Yeah. Um, but if we're talking about <clears throat> insulin resistance and diet and things like that, sugar should be at the top of the list. And they did not account for sugar intake. No, um, didn't, didn't they also. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Um is this a study where they also they included, for example, as a evidence of eating red meat, like lasagna and pizza with yeah. pepperoni Sandwiches. topping? Like, I mean, that's a little yeah. bit different than eating a steak or <laughs> is. So, but that counted in the, the red meat. That's disclosure. the next big flaw is what were these groups? So they 
had them as red meat, processed red meat, unprocessed red meat, and then dairy, fish, nuts, legume, poultry, eggs. And so if you were on a red meat diet, that cons- that cons- was considered anything that contained red meat. So red meat as a steak or red meat in a lasagna was you are on a red pizza. meat diet um, or on a pizza. And so these mixed dishes with red meat in it got chalked up as solely red meat, whereas anyone that's eating pizza or um, lasagna would be pretty confident that there is a heck of a lot of carbohydrates in there. And if you aren't accounting for carbs or sugar intake, you're missing the actual um mechanistic link between diet and insulin um and it makes well makes the whole thing kind of uh, bunk you know it's crazy it's like calling a if a salad with you know 20 a beautiful salad with 20 different ingredients and uh, conclude is that you're on a you know a crazy and a dried cranberry diet because that was the toppings like it's yeah yeah it's, it's ridiculous well, yeah. and then the other, and it's, yeah, exactly. The other thing is that the, the red meat, I, I put it in, I had, I took their tables and, and, and put it in my spreadsheet here, but you know, um, the women in the study, it was about two thirds of the study was women versus a third men, but, um, they ate more red meat than men per person. That doesn't also doesn't make sense. Um, because there's no way that happens in real life. The other thing is they only, you know, as Tommy said earlier, they only had, they sampled their, their food, their diets once a year. So <laughs> that's <laughs> it. People are supposed to account for what they ate for the whole year in one survey that's done, you know, like at the end of the year. So it's very weak. The other if, thing if is. If you pause you, on that point right there, because uh-huh. there's one more point I want to add before yeah. you get to your next point. Yep. That's from an actual scientific um legitimacy standpoint that's that was my biggest critique of this whole thing is so the survey part was done infrequently but they had this thing called a seven um seven ddr um and it was an adjusting variable in there and it's taking so we have 5.5 million person years in this trial is what they say but a small small subset of that actually had seven consecutive so it's seven day weighed diet records so they actually took what those people were eating for the seven days and put an adjustment to try to make their diet intake more legitimate but that was only a thousand of the subjects actually were and so the outcomes of those a thousand submitting their diets on that seven day period that was an adjustment factor placed on all data um, for the 5.5 million person years. So you're taking such a minor representation of what people are actually eating and putting an adjustment on all of the data. And so they, and they report, and that's what's the, that's where the even larger, like that 50% was a 70DR adjusted number. Um, It's a, it's just a crazy misuse and conflation of data um, and statistics to, um, to, to further drive home a pre a pre-identified narrative um it supported i think you know what they wanted to see and so they put that adjustment on to make the results even it amplified uh, it by mm-hmm. about 2x yes that's yeah. uh, yes exactly yeah. so i uh, mm-hmm. want to that. put that in there on the point you were on because that's where it fits yeah. So. yeah it's a bit naughty you know and um and that wasn't in the paper you had to go and hide you had to go find that through supplementary papers because it didn't it didn't explicitly explain that in the in the paper but then, anyway then when i when i added up their red meat intake 
you know, total, meaning processed or raw meat, like eating a steak versus eating some sausages and, and uh, hot dogs, as example. It's, it's a nonsensical intake, you know, they um, mm -hmm. ranging from 34 grams a day. So Americans don't work in grams, but up to a high of like 190 grams a day. Well, think of it as a pound, a pound of ground beef or a pound ribeye. You know, I can eat, I eat a whole ribeye as you boys do. You eat the whole thing, a pounder, you know, 16 ounces, 400 454 grams. So, you know, they're eating between 0 0.075 of a pound a day of raw of meat versus up to 0.2 of a pound a day, 0.4 of a pound a day, um, 0.3 of a pound a day, 0 0.03. 0.16 like these are just the numbers are so low mm -hmm. like, you have the calorie intakes too dad because i thought yeah that was i mean it's just it's pure idiocy there is it's, no one it's like eating it's like it, eating uh and one inch of a hot dog a day and that's your red meat intake it's like well people with really good discipline <laughs> yeah and these are supposed to be your the meat eaters it's like this is yeah well, it's, what it's but if this is all hidden in the tables. It's very hard. It's not until you calculate it all out that you find, you know, yeah. these people are eating, you know, nothing. one to two ounces of, of meat a day. And um, so it's nothing. And then on calories, I just took in, a, I, I looked at their calorie data, which is pure idiocy as well. Like all these people should have lost, you know, 50% of their body weight, like a starvation diet. Uh, if you take a female of 45 years of age, they need about 2,000 kilocalories a day to survive. And a male, you know, we that's uh, 45 years of age and six foot tall and 200 pounds, you know, we need about 2,900 calories a day. And and so if you look at it on our daily requirement of calories, um, then the females they only they ranged from a low of uh, um, percent of their daily requirement, you know, 55%, 70%, 69%. Uh, and mm -hmm. the males, we were down around uh, 40%, 50, 68, 50, 58, 73, you know, percent of our um, calorie uh, requirement. So yeah. that yeah. doesn't, you know, so that's clearly they're, they're, they're reporting of the of the food of the which is the whole damn study is based on supposed to be based on what you're eating yeah um it's clearly it's all junk it should have been thrown out they got gremlins in the data right from the get-go you know yeah and, and um, it, the whole study should have been rejected right there it's like really you're trying to tell me that five million years of diet of of, of food intake here that's being represented and everyone's eating between 40 and 70% of their caloric intake. Like, <laughs> That's crazy. And, yeah. and, we're, and we're seeing, and we're seeing type two diabetes go up 50% in this data from eating a quarter of a hot dog. It's like, yeah. Oh, go sell, go sell, you know, crazy somewhere else. As Jack Nicholson said, we're all full up here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's, I mean, the, the takeaways are to conclude public health um, recommendations. 
And it's based on things like that, which make it even that much more, um, well, a little bit alarming that it actually is being used for that purpose. Um, and one more piece without, and then I think we've probably driven home holes in the paper enough, but one other one on the BMI standpoint is, I don't know how you could conclude something like this um, without accounting for BMI. And so the the you know people that have critiqued this paper have found that, okay, if you accounted for BMI within the subjects in the paper, 50% of the response that was observed would have been accounted for by that. So in other words, you're not accounting for probably the largest contributor to the effects they're seeing. Um, and so it's uh, it it makes it, you know, um, it's just erroneous from the get-go um, to conclude anything of the strength that they are putting out of type 2 diabetes is, you know, directly linked to red meat is what some of these articles are saying. Okay, that's far too much of a stretch from this data set and what these what this paper identified. Um, so I think that's a, a big a big part of the issue is using weak data to make strong conclusions. And that's the that hasn't always been the nature of epidemiology. Um, and they do have a, a rhyme or reason for this method. And we've talked about that already. But mm-hmm. it's shifted in year, in recent years to be a, um, a, a weapon for moving policy, for um, things like that, for persuading public opinion on stuff. Yeah. Um, media working with science to create headlines. Um, it, it sure seems to be, uh, don't know, how, you know, it's, again, sounds conspiratorial, but it doesn't seem to be that far of a stretch to think that that's been increasing in recent years. Well, it seems like exactly the, like we've talked about, it's like the damage is done as soon as that headline's out there. Cause mm-hmm. the two of you and, and again, me by just being a part of this have done the the work to look into it, but you also have the backgrounds and the interest and the time to, to do this. Like what percentage of the population, even if they are skeptical, can really go and um, investigate it. Like I couldn't, and I have a lot yeah. more exposure to this through than the, I would say the average American public. And so like the dance, it's almost like when you're accused of something, a uh, crime or wrongdoing, even if you're, totally innocent there's still a lot of damage that can be done just for the fact of being accused because people don't stick around to see the result after it's been um you know debated and whatever the problem is and that's kind of the case here it's like you've you've already done the damage up front and it's tough to come back from that even though the as we're talking about there's so many issues with how that headline was printed um it was printed and run and and uh it's a good tool for or uh, those that are trying to accomplish shifting public opinion. It, it makes you wonder what the motives behind it are now. And it seems if you're from where we sit, it's a pretty direct attack on the, um, you know, livestock and agriculture and red meat production. Um, if the conclusion is to eat less red meat, okay, the motive behind that, even if that doesn't, if they don't support that, if the headline says that, there's something to be gained from pushing that narrative. And what is it? Well, maybe it's something to do with, you know, the uh, targeting the beef industry at large and, and things like that. It seems if that's not the overall goal, it sure seems to be a pretty strong side effect of it. And um, it's and so it, it gets For this sure. narrative out there that does damage to this industry that doesn't deserve that sort of um negative perception because it just the, the truth isn't there to support that claim. But the damage is done, like you're saying. Yeah, well, I mean, to really, what I would say is the case, and I think there's a lot of evidence for it, is it's this 
to diminish and eventually, you know, work to eradicate animal agriculture, particularly ruminant agriculture. Um, it's all wrapped up in this climate nonsense too of, you know, mm-hmm. livestock, greenhouse gases. And so if they can, you know, drive home that, cause people don't want to give up eating meat, you know, uh, yeah. most people absolutely don't, but if they can also tie it up that it's bad for your health, you know, they're working hand in hand. And meanwhile, you know, the whole insulin piece, like you said, the pharmaceutical industry, it doesn't exactly hurt them to have more people, um, develop insulin resistance. And, um, you know, so I think they're working hand in hand with this ultimate goal of for different motives, perhaps, um, that maybe tie back to each other at the top. I don't, that's whatever, yeah. but, um, seems very clear. It's another angle to attack the, the beef industry in this case, primarily. And if they're being objective based off this data set, the the real conclusion should have been that fish eggs and poultry are the the real culprits because when though when fish displaced red meat in the diet type 2 diabetes went up even more in this trial yeah. but you don't see mm. a single headline about fish leading yeah. to diabetes it's only red meat and so that means that it's not looking at food source no. to diabetes it's looking at a, an industry that they deem as um non-pure leading to diabetes and trying to make that link or force that link to be um uh, to be there um but if you're actually like that was I, I couldn't believe it i found it when you read through this paper you can see that oh wait fish is actually doing more damage than anything and now i wouldn't conclude that because i know this trial is yeah uh, you know the the methods and things like that are already um flawed but if you were to conclude anything with the strength that they are, it should have been to demonize yeah. that the the fish, and that goes against everything that we've been told about mm-hmm. omega threes and omega six, yeah. and and that yeah. it, it unravels a whole different thing. And so it was reported but not discussed. It was buried in supplemental. It, it's all these tricks to to not address what actually would have been a more legitimate, not legitimate, a more a stronger yeah. correlation in the data was that one, and they didn't talk about it. I'd be honest with their already dishonest results, you know, like of the, they don't even want to take the results of their already shoddy work, um, take those, interpret them fairly. That's, yeah, that's this the is the, the authors in this study, I, I have no problem in saying that they're, that they already had a predetermined outcome and, yeah. um, and they just use the, they use this very malleable, um, mm-hmm. scientific method which is epidemiology to get what they wanted you know you get enough data and you play around with it with epidemiology huge survey data you can get damn near anything you want to come out of that you know yeah yeah um, and that's what they did they cherry picked it and then another thing is they they conflate um what you call um absolute risk versus uh, um uh, absolute risk relatives relative risk it's just going to yeah. go there as well okay. that's right yeah yeah so a good example is this they have even though we know all this data is is just absolute junk uh but they you might have an absolute risk in here of 0.2 as example percent of um, diabetes versus 0.4 percent uh, risk of diabetes and um and so you maybe it says uh, 0.2% risk of diabetes is with just vegetarian vegan and 0.4% is with eating some red meat. And so we mm-hmm. can say um, that the difference there is between 0.2 and 0.4 is 0.2 uh, 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 absolute risk difference. But 
that doesn't excite anyone because if it's 0.2 <laughs> out of 100 people or uh, you need a 1,000 people and then you've got two that are at, at risk, you know, um, and that's the because that's the 0.2, right? And uh, um, it's two people out of a 1,000. Well, how's that going to excite anyone to stop eating red meat? So mm -hmm. what, the, what they do is very naughty. They said, well, we're going to use relative risk. So mm -hmm. you say 0.2 to 0.4, that's a 50% difference, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so then they can say, well, here you go. Um, you know, it's you got you got 50% greater um, increase. Uh, it's 100%. 100%. Yeah, 100%, yeah. It's... 0.3 would be 50. So you know, you got 100% increased risk of type 2 diabetes if you eat red meat, you know? So that's the that's the 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 conflating or the or the how do you say the the obfuscation you can use yeah. with relative versus absolute because absolute is almost zero but but if you inflate it to be relative risk and use percentages it sounds huge yeah well it's yeah. the same you see these type of tactics even like going back to our i mean everywhere whenever there's sort of a motive or a uh predetermined outcome like with the grass-fed versus grain-fed beef, even on the omega three yeah. type differences, you know they show whatever exponent significantly higher levels. But when you zoom out, it's like okay, it's actually nothing. So tactics seem to be right. used whenever there's yeah. a, a a conclusion they're trying to draw you to. That's you know not nearly as large as it it's actually claimed to be. Right. When you look at the absolute values, they, like Dad is saying, they're they're so low that how and when you are what tool are you using to iron those out when it's epidemiology when there's 150 confounding variables at play you could never conclude with confidence the difference of that small of magnitude anyways um with with any level yeah. of certainty and so it's <laughs> you have to rely on relative risk and relative change and um to even show something meaningful and it's well not meaningful show something that would be noteworthy of talking about if indeed it were true and so that's a it's a big issue with how um you run into these this line of issue in all sorts of data so you'll yeah if, it'd be the same thing as showing if you're picturing like a a data table if it's a x-axis and y-axis if the difference between let's say i don't know if if you if you weigh 180 pounds and i weigh 210 pounds jack that difference when the x-axis is at zero up to 210 if you just visually are looking at it, that difference is going to be really, really small. But if you yep. set your axes to be 210 and 160, it's yep. going to look like I weigh twice as much as you. Um, it's you huge. know, the line be huge. And so it's it's just how people present data and represent it and visualize yep. is uh, it's a tricky game too. And so there's Which a lot of also, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you, but it's funny because even I remember being taught even in like very basic early school, like these um ways that data can be misinterpreted on graphs and do you remember that like in high school i mean it's all these tricks and yeah. you know why you have to have so it's really basic stuff that that this is something that you don't have to be a scientist to be able to you shouldn't yeah. have to be to to recognize that okay this is kind of bullshit representation of the data based on where you're starting the axis and the um, right you know there's all these rules that i remember that like as red flags so that is yeah. kind of interesting yeah yep that's right so it's uh it's not exactly it it falls in line with there's ways to manipulate the legitimate 
outcome to make it seem different than it actually is or to to construe the importance of the finding um, yep. i guess and so it's uh it's not that's not a thing that's strictly an epidemiology issue that's just a data and um and Motive presenting in general yeah. yeah yeah i think um it maybe also to and to wrap things up a little bit would be to say that you know we believe that the the causative link between eating red meat or dairy products and saturated fats uh to directionally mechanistically towards um type 2 diabetes you know the pathway doesn't exist mm. and there is a lot of you know randomized controlled studies there's big big meta-analysis of those that can post it in the show links as well um that you know that that disprove that link um that direction of eating red meat saturated fat causing diabetes in fact there seems to be more and more evidence now and it's very plausible um, because of because of the action on insulin um, and that pathway that shows the opposite, you know, and it's more plausible to be opposite that eating red meat is protective against type two diabetes because it means you'll eat less carbs, you know, to yes. get your, and less sugar and carbs are sugars. Right. And um, so as long as it's displacing something like that in the exactly. diet, yeah, yeah. it it's, makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. And then you see not on top you know, of. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the actual plausible mechanism points very strongly towards eating more meat and fat, butter is example, uh, and displacing carbohydrates, which are sugars and getting lowering your glycemic load is the key. Yeah. And yep. um, lowering the amount of circulating insulin is the key to health. And so yep. this is where the beef industry would be wonderful. Beef, you know, is a superfood. We, we do firmly believe um, it would be wonderful to see this study, these studies done. And I know Dr. Sean Baker's pushing hard for this too, but it would be really great to see a study done where you take a carnivore, complete carnivore diet, because then you mm -hmm. get rid of everything. You don't have to do a food survey that says, well, how much lasagna did you eat? And did you have mm -hmm. salad? And did you have ranch dressing? And did you have croutons on it? And did you? No, none of that. You're just eating meat, meat and fat, animal fat versus just whatever standard American diet is. And, and then you get a population of people. And we know 40% of the adult population's got freaking diabetes, you know, yep. pre-diabetes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then you and then you look at what happens in terms of, you know, the uh, the clinical markers for that demonstrate diabetes in these two populations. You know, you get the people, you assign them randomly and you adjust for age and sex. And then you have at it, man, all beef and all animal fat versus you know, knock yourself e out eating your normal American diet. And then you see what the hell happens. Mm -hmm. And my hypothesis, the prediction would be that, of course, all your indicators that point towards diabetes would, would decrease favorably when you're eating only meat and, and fat versus, um, you know, a homogenized normal American diet where they're either going to stay the same or get worse. And then and I you think wouldn't need the you wouldn't need the 20 year timeline either. Oh, no, you could do this in probably work. 
blood four work. Four months. And, I bet yeah. all the indicators would be showing up in the blood, you know? Yeah, that's right. Insulin, glucose, um, inflammatory markers, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you would have a very definitive study, you know, controlled with biochemical markers that all point towards clinical disease, you know, and then, and it would be clear cut. And I don't think there's been, I don't think there's a better use of the national cattlemen's or American cattlemen's um, dollars than to do such a study, an intervention yeah. like that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially going back, like, cause that would um, well, obviously be good for the sake of, people's health but health. it's in their interest because uh, the cattleman's interest that because obviously like we said earlier people don't want to give up eating red meat no, and so right. if they can also see that oh it actually isn't not only is it not not only is it not unhealthy but it's actually yeah. healthier you might have froze too, there so. jack did it freeze on your end too dad yeah oh. yep. yeah um I think I can finish that thought where Jack was going until it until it comes back. But it's yeah, it's people are um, typically eating it in spite of this negative connotations associated with that meal. Um, and it, it looks like you're back now, Jack. If you jump back in if you want to finish the thought. But is that kind of where you were going with it? Yeah, yep, that was where I could hear you the whole time. But exactly, say so people are eating it in spite of like um, begrudgingly maybe reducing it because they think it's bad for them. But if you can tell them actually good for you, like yeah. that's why it's Might in the interest of the cattle. Like, oh, I, I predict it would come roaring back that demand, if um, which is ultimately the interest or supposed to be of the um, cattlemen's association and the checkoff dollars. Yep. Yeah, there's no right. better there's no better study they could do to to put beef back on the menu. You know, we've dropped from we used to eat in America 132 pounds of beef per person, man, woman, and child a year, you know? And now we're down to 58 pounds and, and so. Yeah. And, and uh, now we're down to 58 pounds. So basically we've lost half of our uh, beef intake, you know, or, yeah. in 70 years. It's like, and that's supposed to be successful. Like this is an absolute disaster. So, um, yeah, who I would do these studies? Like, is that how would this study actually get accomplished? Like, what do we? Is that? Is it mm -hmm. just to someone that doesn't need it work they, in the scientific world? How do you do this type of study that's yeah, seen as legitimate, legitimate, <laughs> and actually carries some some weight behind it? It can be thrown around. Who has to do it? We we could start at a really small level where we just take the the three of us and each one of us goes on a different diet and we sample Put dad our, on the sugar sample one. our blood dad goes on the mountain dew diet how dare you <laughs> no it, it it would need to be fun it, it's not going to get public funding or government funding yeah. or uh it would have to get some sort of group that has something to gain from it like checkoff dollars going towards it um you know something like that or yeah. groups that are interested in defending and promoting the the beef equals quality equals health sort of message um so point being there have to be the funding again would then come from a, a biased source but the yeah. outcomes wouldn't be biased because it'd be a trial that's done well so yeah. if the the groups that are providing the money would want an outcome it doesn't necessarily mean they would find the outcome but um and so that would be a difference between a lot of the trials that we've been talking about today is yeah they want to find an outcome and do a, do find it um this so but yes point being it'd have to come from groups that are interested in 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 an outcome that would be one way or another more than likely um 
The funding yeah. would, but the actual the execution of the trial wouldn't necessarily yeah, have that's the, like, that's that's what you're the beauty yeah. of, a, of the scientific method. It it yeah. removes bias as much as it can and it removes error. And so it's it should be at its roots something that no matter what your personal bias is, you can't you can't dispute the um the, the outcomes from how the if it was done well and done right. And so I think it's uh it, it would be yeah, it would be massively important for the beef industry to have something like that and it's uh in favor of it because everyone else is pointing swords at the industry and it, we're always on the defense it seems like is, is in mm-hmm. the industry defending our practices defending the product and despite all of the negative things that come from it people still whenever they want to eat something good and um, celebrate it's a steak that goes on the table so we know that that yeah. is the trump card people want to consume it give them a reason to eat it more i think is an only a positive outcome and I think you're right, Dad. I think that sort of trial is the way to way to do it. Or uh, and and talking about it, like people like Sean Baker and others are talking about it. And you know, our reach is far less than his, but we're talking about maybe people need to be talking about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe he's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. this in terms of uh, Americans' health, and you got to look at children growing too. Obesity in children is skyrocketing. And yeah. uh, pre-diabetes and and in children, like it's never seen before. We didn't even know what the frick this was, you know, 50, 60 years ago, and now we're just flooded in it. So, and mm-hmm. then the consequence of them being obese and having being set up for diabetes when they're twelve or fourteen years old is, you know, is like a death sentence. Like, and um, and uh, and overwhelming our health system and and a life of pharmacology, you know, ahead of these kids and sedentary, because as you get heavier and, and, um, and you get flooded with glucose and insulin, you know, you get lazy too, you know, I mean, all your energy's gone. So they can't do a damn thing. They don't feel like doing anything. They're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're horribly unfit and fat and they're going to be, and they're going to be on pharmacy for the rest of their life. It's like yep. there's nothing better we can do than answer this question because we could easily reverse it, get rid of all the pharmacy and get rid of all the insulin syringes basically for type 2 diabetes. And if we were able to prove, which we do believe could be done, that mm-hmm. um, eating you know, meat and, and fat or diet that has a high amount of that and getting rid of your carb and sugar would, would get us back to a healthy, fit, active life. Like this, yeah. as Bjorn yeah. Lomberg does when he looks at cost benefit ratios for everything, you know, social and, and, and environmental issues in the world. Like he's fantastic at it. I bet this thing would be like way up at the top yeah. of like return yeah. on investment. Yeah. Did you, yeah. yeah, that you remind me, did you guys see it went around? I don't know who shared it, but um, JFK talking about the um, chubby children, like there's a, a quote yeah. from, I can share no. it actually. That's one thing we're doing a remote podcast. If you haven't noticed after the hour and a half, um, but I think I could actually share it and the audio should come through, but it's a great, I thought it was a, give it a yeah, go. Yeah. That timely. Yeah. We'll, we'll try it here. Um, just to see, but I thought it was a pretty, uh, what you were saying dad about the, yeah, the, the, the children. Can you, you guys can see my screen, right? Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. So I think that the audio should also, Oh, this is JFK. Oh, sorry, JFK. I said RFK, I think. Yeah, but, um, JFK, one of my heroes. Share sound. There we go. Sorry, audience. This is first time doing this. 
There is nothing, uh, I think, uh, more unfortunate than to have uh, soft, chubby, fat-looking children who go to uh, watch uh, their school play basketball every Saturday and regard that as their week's exercise. I hope that all of you will join and everybody in the United States to make sure that our children participate fully in a vigorous and adventurous life which is possible for them in this very rich country of ours. <laughs> Beautiful. Pretty pertinent yeah. to today. Beautiful. Yeah. Good, one, well, it good is. thing to end on. Absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, that's that would be our would be that would be the gift that beef farmers, you know, beef producers of of the world could give to the world. It's like just, just just quickly on that top, you, do you remember when we were in elementary school, Jack, that the, the marker for kids to run a mile and had to be eight minutes? Like we always wanted to try to run it yeah. under eight. I wonder if that's changed. I wonder what it is today. If you like, yeah. school, is it is it now nine minutes? Is it now Probably 10 an minutes? hour? If you can be back in an hour, you're good. <laughs> I, I I'm going to look it up. I wonder eight. if I can it's, find it. That the standard it's, is different. Uh, yeah. But it's the same for like the firefighters and the police. <laughs> their standards are <laughs> well the military too they're dropping their standards because uh, to... no one can do a chin-up anymore it's like yeah you know i can't find the answer here quickly but yeah i, I bet you know i i would bet you're you're right it hasn't gone these... the other way it certainly is not seven minutes now no. no yeah 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 i remember when i ran that four minute mile as a sixth grader it was pretty impressive so <laughs> I thought, I something it, else i thought it <laughs> was pretty you did it like Stan in the office, got in the cab. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my my cross country career of one year. Yeah. yeah. Tom, Tommy uh, did the carb loading like Michael. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. What was Two that? Run for, what was that? The run to prevent the eradicate Not prevent, cure uh, rabies. Cure rabies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, so one of the plug best for all the office fans out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next podcast is on rabies. Yep. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Old yeller. Okay. Well, eat more beef. Eat more butter. Drink more whole milk. See, I saw that. I saw the USDA small victory for health. Oh, I did see this. The USDA did put allowed again um, whole milk to be served in schools. <laughs> Recommended it, right? Isn't that unreal? After like thirty years of banning it, now now it can be recommended again because. And a complete reversal. What do you know? Turns yeah. out we were we were right, you know. But uh, turns out whole milk is good for you, not bad for you. I actually had a thought on that line of thinking before this podcast, and I haven't brought it up yet. Maybe we can chat about it really quickly just to see. Um, yeah. So dairy's had a complete reversal, so it's now you know pretty widely regarded as healthy again. And I wonder if it was because of the. Um, margarine and um you know the the, the mm -hmm. fake substitute butter the and getting so seeing a negative outcome from the replacement led to going back yeah. to the original product so thank I, I you beyond beef never have to get there but like beyond beef or set you know lab grown meat or things like that that are not actually the the product i wonder if it would take something like that to ultimately now come back to yeah. red meat being, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to that, but it has been a revival on dairy showing yeah. that it is healthy again. So I, I was thinking that before I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. They actually work against their, because we see it in our, you know, we just exposed to more people 
talking about this area, but certainly there's a, um, for people that are paying attention, there's a realization that those meat substitutes are certainly not yeah. healthy um, no. and, and have all the other issues. So uh, obviously the people that are active and invested in this area recognize that before, but um, yeah, maybe it's a little yeah. bit of a precursor history. That was the purpose of is, that butter and of the trans, you know, of those alternatives to saturated fat. And it ended up being banned from foods um, once it once it become more realized yeah. that it wasn't a, a a win or healthy. Well, and there's certain countries that are banning, like uh, did Italy had banned, um, yeah. and so meat. starting to see some reverberation. I don't know why they did it. If it was protect their meat industry or protect the hub, public health, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's an interesting thought, Tommy. That um, maybe history will repeat or or rhyme as they say it doesn't repeat but it rhymes yeah, but it rhymes yeah so very cool. good well very good guys yeah all right that's cool thank you thank oh. you very much have a great day yep cheers take yep. care guys bye See ya.